All right. Well, good evening, everyone. We're glad you're here. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2 tonight. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 19. I think I'll read the text before we begin uh, looking at it. Haggai chapter 2 verse 10 says, On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider, from this day onward, before one stone is placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time when one came to the grain heap of twenty measures, there would be only 10, and when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would be only 20. I smote you with every work of your hands, with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider... Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree? It has not borne fruit, yet from this day on I will bless you. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures, and we thank you for the people who've come out tonight to partake of this passage that you've inspired for us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would do personal work in each of our minds and hearts in light of this text and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's recap the history of this before we tackle this. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian, led by Nebuchadnezzar, went into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and destroyed Jerusalem. Then in 538 B.C., Cyrus, who had conquered Babylon, permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Then in 536 B.C., the temple foundation was laid, but then as soon as the temple foundation was laid, the work stopped. In 536 B.C. to 520 B.C., there was no work being done at the temple whatsoever, even though the people were living back in the land, they weren't accomplishing anything. In 522 B.C., Darius came to power, and he supported the rebuilding of the temple. And then, of course, in 520 B.C., God raises up Haggai and Zechariah, and they show up, and they begin prophesying, and things start to move. In 520 B.C., things began to happen. And so far in the book of Haggai, things have been really happening fast. I mean, we are just 114 days since Haggai gave his first message, and things have changed. The people are doing some work. They're obviously going up, and they're bringing some timber down to finish the temple. The problem was not the work. It was the heart. It's one thing to do some work for God, but it's another thing to really have a heart that's right with God. So Haggai and God knew that that subject needed to be addressed. And the nation, who was doing a lot of religious work, needed to have a lecture concerning where they were at in their hearts. 
We may notice from verse 10 that again the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. God is revealing another message. This one comes on the 24th day of the ninth month. That's what we learn there in verse 10. Revelation number 1 occurred on the first day of the sixth month. Revelation number 2 occurred when the people were working on the temple in the 24th day of the sixth month, which was 23 days after the first message. Revelation number 3 occurred on the 21st day of the seventh month, 50 days after the first message. And message number 4, or revelation number 4, occurred on the 24th day of the ninth month. We're now 113 to 114 days after the first message. Now, if we say that each month has 30 days in it, which is a Jewish calendar, then this prophecy occurred 113 to 114 days after the first prophecy and about 90 days after they had started the reconstruction work of the temple. So things are moving. You actually have a time now where the people in Israel are serving and they're working together. And they probably were beginning to say, in light of the context that we'll see tonight, hey, how come we're not getting these blessings of God? We were working and we're serving, and we've been at it now for a little while. How come things haven't turned around? Now, the message that Haggai had given to the people was the reason why they weren't prospering. Because God had withheld his blessings due to the fact that they, as we saw, were more concerned about their own lives and their own houses more than him. They were people who had forgotten about God. Well, in these people's minds now, that message resonated with them, and they said, okay, so we'll start to get to work now, and we'll go get the timber, and we'll start rebuilding the temple, and now that they're working, nothing seems to be happening, and God says, you know what? We still have a little problem, and here's the problem. It's good that my people are obeying my word, and it's good that my people are interested in my house. But if my people want my ultimate blessings, they have to be clean. And they have to separate themselves from things which are unclean. And there's the problem. Getting the full blessings of God is not just about doing stuff. Although they were doing things, at least for the first time in quite a few years, that were actually things that were consistent with what God would want them to do. But getting the full blessings of God is about being clean in the sight of God, and that's what God wanted these people to realize. You know, you still have a heart issue here. It's not just you're going through religious motions working, but you still have a heart issue here. And what we may conclude from this section is that the people were going to worship, they're doing some work, they're giving their offerings, they're not clean. Their works and their offerings and their sacrifices were not viewed by God as being pure, and they were not viewed by God as being good because they were not clean. I'm telling you, there's a lesson to learn right here in this text. People can go to church and do a lot of stuff. They can sing, they can give, they can serve, they can be on committees, they can be on boards and not be really clean in their hearts. That is the lesson that you'll see as we go through this text tonight. Now, according to verse 10, God's word again came to Haggai. Now, you have an interesting change of prepositions because in verse 1 of the first chapter, the text says that the word of God came by Haggai the prophet. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says it came by Haggai the prophet. But now when you come to this particular text in verse 10, it came to Haggai the prophet. The emphasis, and there is a difference of pronouns. I've looked it up in both Greek and Hebrew. 
And the emphasis of by Haggai means the Lord was speaking by means of Haggai. He was the instrument by which God was speaking. However, the emphasis here is God is speaking directly to Haggai. This is personal communication. Personal communication that God is giving directly to Haggai. And there's a change in the preposition of both the Greek and Hebrew text. And God wants to emphasize the fact that he really moved and he gave this message to Haggai to present to this people. And God is identified in verse 10 as the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R-D. He's also identified in verse 11 as the Lord of hosts. So by introducing himself this way, he is specifically saying to the people, I am the sovereign God And I am Israel's God. I'm in a covenant relationship with God. I am sovereign over everything on earth. I'm sovereign over everything in heaven. I can do whatever it is I want to do. And he says, I want you people to understand that. I am God. I am sovereign over everything. I can do whatever I want to do. And there are three main messages that God gives to Haggai to communicate here. He said, number one, I want you to go ask the priest for a ruling on two hypothetical questions. Now, the priests had the responsibility to carefully study the scriptures so they could make judgments. That's their job. Part of their responsibility was people would come to them with various situations. Their responsibility was to search the scriptures. Their responsibility was to accurately interpret the scriptures and accurately make application of the scriptures. Their job also was to accurately teach the scriptures. Temple life was carefully and accurately about understanding and explaining the word of God. I mean, and if you're going to have temple life that pleases the Lord, if you're going to have temple life that brings the blessings of God, it certainly has to be centered on the word of God. And it started with these priests, and God begins by having Haggai asking these priests a couple of questions. By the way, that is still a good way to teach, ask and answer questions. You know, when I went back to school, I I had no system of study whatsoever. I didn't know. I thought, man, what am I going to do in these classes? I don't know. Do you just read a chapter and sit there and think about it? It comes in your mind. I didn't know. So I asked my brother, who had gone through a lot of different schools, and I said, do you have a study system? He says, oh, yes. He said, I'll give you my study system. I said, well, let's hear it. He said, what I do is I take a sheet of paper, and he said, if we're covering a chapter in a book, he said, I'll make myself questions and answers. For example, let's say you're dealing with grammar. Here it defines a noun. What's a noun? Under it, I write the answer. What's an adjective? I'll write the question. What's an adjective? Under it, the answer. He said, that's the way I study for every course. Well, he said, then what you do is he said, you take a piece of paper and you cover up the answer and you start working your way through every one of those questions. He said, when you can answer every one of the questions, you know the book. I thought, hey, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I did. I used that through every course I ever took. That was the system of study. Questions and answers are a good way to get people to think. The Apostle Paul will use it. You're going to see that in Romans. He'll often use questions and bring out answers to make a point. He does it a lot of times. It's a good way to teach. And God's using that method right here. What God does here is he addresses the matter of ritualistic religion by asking a couple of questions. Now, there are ministers and priests here who were leading the people, and these people were trusting in their ritualistic religious stuff than in a real relationship with God. So what God tells Haggai to do is, I want you to go to these people. I want you to ask these priests a couple of questions. And these questions are designed to show that the people really care more about their religion 
but not their righteousness. In other words, they had religious piety about them, but they did not have real purity about them. So here's his first hypothetical question. If a man is carrying some holy meat in his garment, and he touches something else with it, does that make what he touches holy? Now, to give a correct answer to this question, one would really have to know their stuff. They'd have to search through books like Leviticus, because we actually went through that in Leviticus chapter 6, that verse that says, anyone who touches its flesh will become consecrated. If you were at the altar and you touched the flesh of something sacrificed, you became consecrated and set apart. And when any of its blood splashes on a garment in a holy place, you shall wash what is splashed on. So what we learn from this text is if there were a direct touch, according to Leviticus, of the meat at the holy place, the thing that touched it would be holy. But the question here is, what if you have an indirect touch? What's described here is a question that concerns meat that's been dedicated to the Lord, but they're carrying it in some fold of a garment. I'm not sure what the garment was, if it had like a little pouch sewed on it that you could stick the meat in and then just kind of haul it somewhere. I mean, you knew if you were going to the altar, you're certainly going to have to carry some meat probably home to eat. So somehow the garment carrying the meat comes in contact with another food item. You have other cooked food, you have wine, oil, other food there. And Haggai's question is, if the meat that was in the garment touched that other stuff, would it make that other stuff holy? And the priest's answer is no. That's what the priest said. That's what he said in verse 12. No, no, it wouldn't. It's not possible to transfer holiness to another object indirectly. Now let me use an illustration that I'm going to borrow from Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, one that he told years ago. He said, because Christians need to understand this point, because there are parents who make a fatal mistake. There are some parents who think, if we take our rebellious child and they aren't disciplined, they're out of control, and the parent doesn't seem to be doing their job, and if we stick them in a Christian school, then the object of sticking them in the Christian school will rub off. You'll transfer the goodness of the other students to the bad apple. If we somehow put them in a Christian school... That is going to go ahead and make the child straighten out. I mean, that'll cure the problem. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, it works the opposite way. You pick a bad child, put them in a school with a bunch of good children, and probably they'll influence them for the bad. Because the principle here that's being developed is godliness and holiness is not indirectly transferable. You can't transfer holiness to someone. It's individual. The question here is whether or not it's possible for some religious institution or some religious object to transfer real holiness to a person. Could you be holy if you wore a crucifix? Could the crucifix that you're wearing make you holy? Could you be baptized in water and the water would make you righteous? Could you go physically to a church and just going physically to the church would make you clean? God's answer is no. No. These people were working on the temple. They were taking their offerings to the temple. Problem was, 
a holiness lack. And holiness must be personal and individual. It's not transferable by some indirect connection to something religious. So just because one object's holy, it's not going to transfer that holiness to another object. That becomes the responsibility of the other object. So there's hypothetical question number one. Hypothetical question number two, if a person who's unclean because he touched a corpse touches the thing that was clean, does that which he touched become unclean? And the priest answer is yes. What he says in verse 13, yes. It's sure possible to transfer uncleanness to another object. Purity is not transferable, but impurity certainly is. Purity has to be individual, but impurity is corporate. There is a common depravity among all people. Let's see if we can illustrate the point. When the coronavirus swept through and people got sick, healthy people could not transmit health to the sick person. But the sick person could transfer sickness to the healthy person. See, we're not susceptible to holiness. We're susceptible to evil and uncleanness. You can catch a cold from someone, but you can't catch health from somebody. A sick child cannot catch health from a healthy child, but a healthy child can get sick from another sick child. Now, that must have been really eye-opening for these people to listen to because they had responded to the word of God. They had gone up there to the mountains and they had got some lumber and they had brought it back down and they were rebuilding the temple. They've been doing that for about 90 days if my calculations are accurate. They at least were thinking about the house of God and they weren't thinking about their own house. I mean, they had thought about their own lives and their own houses for years, but now they seem to be involved in some actual works and sacrifices that Haggai told them to make. And now Haggai says, but you have one more problem. You're wondering why you aren't being showered with the blessings of God. You have one more problem. The problem is you're not clean. And what you have thought is because you're doing these physical things, you're going through these physical things that that should merit the immediate blessings and immediate prosperity of God. And God says you have one more problem. You aren't clean. So here's what God was actually seeing. God was actually seeing a bunch of impure people. Remember, these were the same people who had just been doing nothing for the Lord, didn't even care. Their hearts weren't right with God because they didn't even care if that temple were up till Haggai and Zechariah show up and said, you got to get this thing going. So these people haven't really had a heart change. They've had a work ethic change. They've at least said, yeah, we better kick it in gear and get going and rebuild the temple. But that's not the same as having a heart that says we need to be right with God. And God says, what I see here is when you go to your worship services and you're taking your offerings, you are unclean, you're impure, and that affects everything that you are touching and doing. All of your works, all of your offerings are unclean because you're unclean. So there's the first message. Hey, guys, to give to the people, ask them those two hypothetical questions. The second message is God declares his assessment of the people rebuilding the temple there in verse 14. I want you to notice the three so statements. Three so statements in one verse. You don't see that very often, but you do see it in verse 14. Then Haggai said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. 
Hey guys says, so is this people, so is this nation, so is every work of this people. God says, what all you people need to realize and what this nation needs to realize and what your works need to realize is that isn't going to make you clean. It's one thing to do religious stuff. It's one thing to be involved in religious works, but it's an entirely different matter to be clean. In fact, God says, everything you're doing is unclean in my sight because you won't deal honestly with what's really going on in your heart. In fact, that is interesting. He doesn't even call them in that verse, my people and my nation. He says, this people, this nation, they're the ones rebuilding the temple. But everything about this is defiled. The people aren't pure. They're not pursuing purity. They're involved in religious action. I mean, they're involved in religious work, but the work's polluted because they're not interested in having a cleanliness before me. They're not interested in having a clean heart. They had the same uncleanliness that they had when they had forgot about God and his work and worked on their own houses. Nothing in their hearts had changed, just something in their actions had changed. They got involved in religious works, but they really weren't interested in being clean before the Lord. They had their religious rituals They had their offerings that they took physically, but their religiosity was worthless in the sight of God because God says, everything you're doing that I see is just classified as unclean. Which brings us to the third message. God tells the people, from now on, obey my word and pursue that which is pure. Verse 15, but now, do consider from this day onward before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. There is another carefully consider construction here. But now, now, you need to carefully think about this. You need to carefully think about the relationship you have with me. You need to carefully think about what I'm telling you here. You can go to worship services. You can be involved in all kinds of religious action. You can make religious sacrifices, and you can still be unclean and not right with me in my sight. This is inferential that it points right back to what he just said. Now it's time for you to regroup and refocus. It's time for you to get going in a different direction. And if you will get going in a different direction, you will discover that's why I've been withholding the blessings. Because, yes, you are at least constructing the temple, but the fact of the matter is you still are not clean in what you're doing because you haven't even come to terms with your own guilt yet. I mean, you still are going through religious works, but you haven't dealt honestly with a heart problem that caused this temple not even to be built all these years. Then he brings down some admonitions that he gives to the people, three of them. He says, first of all, start now before you do one more thing. Verse 15, but now do consider from this day onward before one stone is placed on another in the temple of the Lord. God says, don't lay one more stone down for this building until you're serious about being clean in my sight. God said, you need to realize that unholiness is transferable, but holiness is not transferable. It's individual. And I think that this passage should prompt every one of us as private individuals to ask the Lord to convict us and show us areas of our life where we have offended him. 
I think we should probably do that on a regular basis. We should ask God to search us. We should honestly assess ourselves in light of the Lord and his word if we want to enter into the full, acceptable worship that pleases him. I think before Sunday comes, we should do self-analysis and ask the Lord, are there areas in my life that are not clean? Because I don't want to walk into that worship service and play a game. The second admonition is you know what happens when you're not clean. Verse 16, from that time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would be only 20. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. God says, consider for a minute what you have been living through economically. When you didn't put me first, you weren't interested in being clean. Consider this. There were serious economic consequences. You were not clean, and the reason I didn't bless you is because you weren't clean. And the truth of the matter is, they weren't even interested in rebuilding the temple because they weren't clean. Had they had a heart that was right with the Lord, they would have sensed the urgency to get that place of worship reconstructed so they could worship the Lord and have a good place to worship the Lord. But they were so out of fellowship with God, their hearts were not clean at all. They didn't even care about that. So God says, I want you to remember why you're in the situation you're in. Your productivity was decreased by 50%. You were only able to harvest one half of what should have been harvested. You should have harvested 20 measures of grain. You could only harvest 10. In fact, your grape and wine harvest was less than that. Your wine harvest was down 60%. You should have been able to draw 50 measures. You could only draw 20. And God says in verse 17, I'm the one that smote you. I'm the one that smote the work of your hand. I'm the one who caused the wind and the mildew and the hail to destroy your crops. And you still would not come back to me. You have a heart problem. Yeah, you're going through motions and you're building a building. But you have a heart problem. And if you want my blessings, you're going to have to settle that heart issue. Which brings us to his third admonition. You can know... From now on, I'll bless you. He says in verse 18, Do consider this, do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree? It has not borne fruit, yet from this day on, I will bless you. God says the seed is not in the barn, you haven't been bearing fruit, but if you will purpose to be clean from now on, I will bless you. You get clean, and then you keep your focus on me, you keep your focus on my word, you keep your focus on my place of worship, and I'll bless you. See, I am totally convinced that God does want to bless his people. I I believe that's his heart. His heart is to bless his people, but he's not going to bless his people if they're just going through religious motions and they don't have hearts that are right with him. 
That's what he's trying to communicate to this nation. You're going through religious motions, a lot of religious motions, but your hearts aren't right with me. God longs to bless his people, and he will bless them if the hearts are right with him, if the lives are clean and pursuing the word of God and the will of God and the purity that's found in the word of God. That's what he wanted Israel to know. That's what he wants us to know. I want to leave us with some parting thoughts from this text of scripture tonight. Number one, bad corrupts good. Rarely does good influence bad. That's the principle. Bad corrupts good. Rarely does good influence bad. Some person who's thinking to themselves, well, I'm going to be the good one that's going to go in with a bunch of bad apples, they won't end up good. You don't want to get in with bad apples because you won't affect them. They're going to affect you. That's the principle that is set forth right here. Number two, religious works and offerings are given by those unclean as well as those that are clean. I mean, there can be people who do a lot of religious works and they can give offerings, but their hearts aren't right with the Lord. There can be people that serve the Lord. I mean, they can have ministries at the church. They can be involved in all kinds of action and still not have hearts right with God. I mean, that's what was happening here. You had people, we could say the temple was kind of a representation, we'll use a metaphorical representation of the church, and you had a lot of people at the temple, and a lot of people are involved in, in temple work, but their hearts weren't right with God. The same can be true in the church. You can have people involved in all kinds of stuff, public ministries, private ministries, serving here, giving this, and still not have hearts right with God. Don't let that happen. Thirdly, God's blessings are available to those who have clean hearts. That really is a message he's trying to communicate to this group here. Look, my blessings are available. I will bless you from this day on. But you need to change your focus from just what you're doing with your works to what's going on in your heart. You need to be clean. Fourthly, every believer should ask God to assess whether or not he, she is clean. Every believer should ask God to assess whether he, she is clean. And... Finally, one could be involved in all kinds of religious things and be unclean and heading to judgment. One could be involved in all kinds of religious things and be unclean and heading to judgment. That principle or those lessons are clearly seen in this text of Haggai chapter 2. Well, our time is long gone. Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.